serve a good God. Come on, somebody give him some praise in this place this morning. He's worthy. We serve such a good God. Aren't you glad this morning that you have a God that is faithful, that when you go to him, he hears you when you call out. Amen. Hey, as we continue to worship this morning, hey, I don't know what you walk through those doors with, but you know your God is bigger than whatever you walk through those doors with. And his presence can bring peace to any situation. So as we continue to worship this morning, I just encourage you, engage with the Lord. Father, we invite your presence in this place this morning. We pray that you would come in this house, Lord, and change hearts and lives by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
thankful for that, Jesus. We bless your name. Go ahead, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you, oh, Lord. Say no one 
you and live for you all the days of our life. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We're going to take some time in the middle of our worship to bring our prayer team down front so we can pray with you about anything you have need of. But when I was praying about the services this weekend, I read in Matthew 26 yesterday, and Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's saying to his Father, Father God, if there is any way, please let this cup pass from me. Please don't make me go through this horrible death that's ahead of me. And this is what God started ministering to me. And actually with notes that I wrote in my Bible when I was diagnosed with cancer. I wrote this. When God's plan doesn't look like our plan, we often lose our faith and turn our back on God. We thought he would heal us or keep someone we love from dying or keep us from losing our job. And it didn't happen the way we thought it should. We have to trust God even when our worst nightmares happen and trust him to turn them into victory. Jesus going to the cross became victory for us. My walking through cancer became victory and I proclaim it around the world when I go. Whatever you're going through today, let's trust God and let him turn it into victory. So we're calling our prayer team down and we will pray with you about anything. But especially if you don't understand what God's doing, we want to pray that you see God in the midst of that and you see him turn it into something victorious. God bless you as we continue to worship.
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. The journey of life can be difficult and confusing. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help make your journey clear by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you grow and stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It's a four-week class to help you learn about the church, get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week Freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The Becoming a Person of Influence class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, and your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Becoming a Person of Influence classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone.
Amen. Can we give God some praise this weekend? Are you glad to be here? Independence weekend. Golly. God is good. Amen. Amen. We are glad that you are here. Some awesome happenings at our church. As you leave today, we have a patriotic table in the foyer. All sorts of great information on our founding fathers. There's an awesome article I read about Davy Crockett. There's some pocket constitutions. We encourage you to check it out, grab some information. How many people know our country was founded on godly principles by godly men and women? And we need to return to that. Pastor's actually preaching on that today. Uh, Also, our Connect class starts this Wednesday night at 6.30. So if you're new to our church, Pastor Mike and Miss Sharon, they teach this class. It's in the Connect Cafe. If you want to become more involved in our church, if you want to serve at our church, this is the gateway to everything that goes on at Church on the Rock. We encourage you to come. It's at 6.30 this Wednesday night. be a great time for you. Also, uh, if you don't receive our text message or our weekly email, we would love to get you informed. There's a red card right in the seat back in front of you. If you fill this out with your number, your name, your email address, every week we will kind of keep you up to date on everything that's happening at the church. If you're already getting this stuff, you don't have to fill this out. But if you aren't and you would like to, just fill it out, drop it in the offering when it comes by, and you'll know what's going on at the church. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs 19 verse 17. We're getting ready to receive our tithes and our offerings. And this is what's written in Proverbs. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Our church sent money to the Philippines, oh, about a month or so ago. And they're going to show you some slides. There was a church whose the building had been blown away because of the monsoon. And we sent in the money to help build this church They've been putting, you know, did the foundation, putting up some walls. They've got a a roof on it. And when we go, in a week and a half, we're going to go and we're going to dedicate this church that your money's built to help some poor people in the Philippines. You also sent money for school supplies. And we bought school supplies, and and the, the numbers left my mind, but it's something like 150. It may have been over 200 children poor children in Cebu area, and we bought school supplies. This is just a few pictures of the many children that got it, and it's because our heart as a church is to help the poor and needy around the world as well as in here at Texarkana, USA, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you showed. Our team that's leaving in a a little over a week, we're going to be going and distributing food, again, from monies that you all have donated. We're going to buy food and give it to the poor and needy. And I want to say thank you. And as you give, remember, when you lend to the Lord or to the poor, when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. God bless you as you give. God bless
we all stand to our feet and we're going to sing this song again, but I want to sing it as a prayer. You know, when we say God bless us, bless America, how many know he has indeed blessed America? What we enjoy today is not because the wisdom of our economists, it's not because of the, you know, the pizzazz of our technology or our hard work. How many know we stand by the grace of God? We are just like every person on the face of the earth. It's not just because of our education, our race, all the things the world says. But God showed his kindness to America. I guarantee you today, virtually every one of us today, our question is not if we're going to eat food or not. Our question is how much and when, where do we go, and how often do we do it? I mean, all these things are a gift from God. The air conditioner, we enjoy our jobs. Could we just reach out to heaven? And first of all, just say, thank you, God, for blessing America. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to live in the greatest place on earth. We just want to bless you today. And God, we want to ask you to forgive us today as a nation. Forgive us for how we've turned our back on you. Forgive us, Lord, for how we have gone our own way. And in so many ways, we have just like, just told you you're not welcome. Lord, I can't answer for the rest of the world, but I can say for us, Lord, we love you today. And we just acknowledge that you are a good God and a kind and gracious Father. We welcome you today. Come on, let's sing it as a prayer. And God, God bless this nation. Bless America. Turn this nation back to you, God. Land that I Forgive us for our wickedness. Stand beside and guide through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairies, to the oceans, wide with give the Lord some praise today. We bless his holy name. He is good to us. Hey, tell your neighbor, you look spectacular this morning. And I want to encourage you, make your way to the book of Psalms, Psalms 33. But if you were to ask the average American today, many don't know why we celebrate the 4th of July. It's barbecues, it's fun, it's fireworks. But this day commemorates the day that the Declaration of Independence was adopted on July 4th, 1776 by the Continental Congress, declared that those first 13 American colonies would no longer be a part of the British Empire. It was a day we kind of take for granted almost 250 years ago. But Thomas Jefferson wrote these words. He served on a committee, and he was the actual one that did the writing for the Declaration of Independence. And here's what he said. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. How I many know there's true and there's false? We live in a world today that doesn't believe in absolutes, moral or otherwise. But Thomas Jefferson looked higher, as did our founders, and said, God, through his revelation of himself and natural law, has revealed truths that all men can see. They're self-evident. And the first, he said, all men are created equal. 
Men being a generic term, regardless of our gender, our race, our socioeconomic background. How many know we're all created in the image of God? And that gives us value. And then he said, there we are endowed by their creator. Not the evolutionary chain, not some mystical, magical moment, but we are endowed or given by our creator certain unalienable rights. Now, there's broadly two types of rights. One rights, there's the right that a government gives and can take away. I mean, you have the right to deduct your charitable deduction on your taxes. You have the right to deduct mortgage insurance. But how many of those can be taken away? But there are rights that are given by God. And these rights given by God, he said, they are like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then he says what the role of government is. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So in that preamble to this Declaration of Independence, our founders believe, number one, that there is a God. They called him, affirmed him as creator. And they believe that our rights come from God, not the government. And he, they believe that civil governments are formed to protect our God-given rights. And then lastly, they believe that governments derive their just power from the consent of the governed. In other words, we the people, as we elect representatives and give them rights to be able to lead us. Now, how many know we've drifted pretty far from that in America, modern America today? Those 13 colonies became the greatest nation in the history of the world. And there's a reason. The psalmist said this. It's, he said, and say this with me, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. There's a reason America is a great nation. God blessed us so that we would be a blessing to the world. And there is no nation that has done more for the proclamation of the gospel, the evangelization of the world. There's no nation that's given more Bibles. There's no nation that's sent more missionaries. There's no nation that's done more to help the poor around the world than the nation that God has blessed, the United States of America. In the words of one of our founders, Patrick Henry, he was the governor of Virginia, he said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often, and listen to this, that this great nation was founded not by religionists or people who generally believed in God, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, historical truth, the governor of Virginia, if the governor of Virginia was stood on the house floor today and say that, he would be booed, people would walk out, they'd have to call for an ambulance because people would have passed out. They live under this delusion that God is supposed to be separate from government. Today, the secular humanists, they're attempting to destroy every vestige of our Christian heritage and replace it with a man-centered, godless, government-controlled state. And this morning, as we celebrate the 4th of July, I'd like to, in my message this morning, kind of give you a history lesson. I'd like to look back at our founding fathers. I'd like to look back at their religious views. And then we'd like to turn practical in the second part of the message about our role as Christian citizens and the Bible verses we'll look at that justify these positions. But I've entitled the message, The Faith of Our Founding Fathers. And I want to begin with the video by David Barton. It's the tour of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. You can find all that I'm looking at, on, uh, all I'm referencing online today. But uh, this was a tour of our nation's capital. And how many know you can argue philosophy, but how many know you can't argue things that are in bricks and stone? You can't argue what is right before us today. And I want to take you uh, on a look back today 
of America's great Christian heritage. If you're under, say, 35 years of age, I really want to encourage you to listen to me, particularly you that are teenagers, because you don't hear this anywhere else today. It's almost like I'm talking out of the Stone Age. But listen, look at our nation's capital and see the Christian heritage as it unfolds. This is a copy of what the first Bible printed in English in America looked like. This Bible was printed in 1782 by Robert Aiken, the official printer to Congress. It identifies the congressional committee that oversaw the project and the names of the congressional chaplains who attest to its accuracy. It was subscribed to Congress as, quote, a neat edition of the Holy Scriptures for the use of our schools, end quote. In the front of the cover, it says that Congress resolved the United States and Congress assembled to recommend this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. So the first Bible printed in English in America was intended for the use of schools, done with congressional oversight and endorsed by Congress? And we're going to be told that they don't want any kind of religion and education. They don't want any voluntary prayer. No, it doesn't make sense. This document by itself is fairly significant. But in the 1830s, Congress commissioned these four paintings over here that recapture important Christian events from the history of the United States. So in these four paintings, you have really a span of several hundred years. If I take you through them chronologically, the first is back there, Columbus landing in the Western world in 1492. They got out, they knelt down, they had a prayer service. You see the cross they have. They named the land where they had landed San Salvador, meaning Holy Savior, which tells you something of the thinking that was going on then. You come back over my shoulder here. This is the baptism of Pocahontas in Jamestown, and this was in 1613. Over here, the fourth painting is 1620. This is the embarkation of the pilgrims coming to America. You see them gather around the Bible there. You see the prayer meeting they're having. Now, if you just take those four paintings right there, those four paintings in this great secular hall of government, those four paintings represent two prayer meetings, a Bible study and a baptism, which is not bad for a secular building. Now, interestingly, when they moved into the old Capitol over there in December 22nd, 1800, According to the records of Congress, two weeks later on December the 4th of 1800, records of Congress say that with the Senate under President Thomas Jefferson, the House under Theodore Sedgwick, they voted that every Sunday the Capitol building would become a church building. And so they started having worship in here every Sunday. You'll find that by 1867, the largest church in Washington, D.C. was the church that met here at the Capitol. This is half the Capitol in 1807, so this, this shows you the size of it. Um, it is in here that they had 2,000 people a week for church in this room. Twelve weeks after that, Thomas Jefferson became President of the United States. But for his eight years as President, he went to church here at the U.S. Capitol, listened to the sermons here at the Capitol, and while he was President and Commander-in-Chief, the Marine Corps Band, now known as the President's own band, played the worship services at the Capitol. Now, that'd be kind of cool having the Marine Corps Band as your worship band, you know, in church. That church went for the better part of a century. In addition to that, there were four other churches that met at the Capitol. First Congregational was, this was their church home, as was First Presbyterian, as was Capitol Hill Presbyterian. Churches met here. There was nothing secular or seen to be secular about this building until the last 30, 40, 50 years. Makes you happy and sad at the same time, doesn't it? Let's talk about the religious makeup of these founders. Fifty-six of them signed the Declaration of Independence. The vast majority were Christian, virtually all of them. Thirty-two were Episcopalian or Anglican, thirteen Congregationalists, twelve Presbyterian. Four of them were preachers. 
uh, 29 of the 56. Now, that's over half had what we would call a seminary or Bible college degree. Seminary or Bible college degree. Uh, today, though, our founders, when you study about them from the secular vantage point, they're depicted as a group of greedy white men of privilege who only gave lip service to God and their reason for coming to America was to pillage and enslave people for their own gain. That's the picture in modern America today. I want to suggest to you, number one, first of all, that our founders, in many ways, were no different than us. Let me know, we can believe truth, we can hold to the truths of Scripture, but still do stupid things in our life. There were some of our founders, they were slave owners. Others were abolitionists. They were involved in the abolition of slavery. Uh, different quotes that we would read could be at different times in their life. The historians may pick out moments of time in your pre-Christian days, and how many know you would say something different than they would after you've committed your life fully to Christ? These men, though not perfect, they shared something about a commitment to Christ that's missing in modern culture today. And, and I don't say that just because the preacher happens to believe that. I want to give you some historical proof today. I want to share with you some quotes if you're interested in delving further into this, I would encourage you to go to wallbuilders.com. It's one of the greatest sites that you can learn about the Christian history of America. But I want to look with you in this first kind of history of our nation. I want to look at the quotes of our founders on what they believed about the Bible, number one. Number two, what they believed about Jesus and Christianity. And number three, what they believed about God and government. Let's talk first about their view of the Bible. John Adams, he was the second president... He signed the declaration and he said this, and this is amazing. He said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Now that's a big statement. The general principles whereby we are, are, are independent were the principles of Christianity. He said, I've examined all religions and the result is the Bible is the best book in the world. Second president. Andrew Jackson, our seventh president, said this, The Holy Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. Republic is the term for our form of government, not Republican or Democrat as we understand political parties. But a republic is a government composed of the people who, with elected representatives, bound by the law of the Constitution, collectively govern our nation. A third, uh, a third person influential in the, the, uh, our founding, Benjamin Rush, he signed the Declaration of Independence. He's known as the founder of public schools. He said this, the Bible should be used as a school textbook. The Bible should be used as a school textbook. He said the Bible contains more truth than any other book. And if we remove the Bible from schools, we'd waste time punishing crimes and spend little time preventing them. What does that mean? That means what the Bible teaches us is how to rightly relate to God. And you cannot make enough laws to control the wickedness and evil of man. Listen, we are deluded in America today. Every time there's an attack, I mean, even the guy, this last one in Florida, where he was killed all these poor people in this nightclub, 50-some uh, people, he, he posts on Facebook, he calls 911, and he said he represents ISIS, the Islamic State. He represents them, and he kills all these people. But just like that, the revisionists in America said, well, he didn't really mean that. There's something else, and their solution is more gun control. Listen. 
They kill people in prison with knives and shivs and everything else. The way to control what people do is allowing God to touch our hearts. And that's what religion does. I know people in this church who've been convicted of murder. I know people who have raped. I know people who have gotten people intentionally pregnant. There's been abortions. All these things. But when they became a Christian, they changed because God changed them on the inside. And taking the Ten Commandments off the walls of the schools was not just a symbolic act. When you removed God, who said, Thou shalt not murder, you told kids, come on, that are angry about life, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter who you kill, it doesn't matter what gang you join, because there is no God, there is no accountability, and somebody else is to blame for your problems. It's the nature of what's called progressive thought in America. What happened in 1962 or 3, our Supreme Court removed prayer in the Bible and Bible reading from public schools. When I was a child, the principal would read the Bible every day over the intercom. The biggest problem back then was chewing gum and putting the gum under the desk. Now the teachers are afraid for their lives in many schools, the violence that's there. And rather than recognizing the problem, there's a continual call for more money. Come on now, just give us more money. Let us do more. Let us dumb down the standards rather than recognizing we're on the wrong path. Teachers across America are reprimanded for having a Bible on their desk. Children are forbidden from sharing Bible verses in the public school. Third and fourth graders who bring on book day the Bible or share a Bible verse with their friends have to have an attorney to allow them to have that freedom in America today. Since we have no Ten Commandments, we've replaced them with police and metal detectors. And the modern solution, rather than going to the heart of the problem, is more police and more metal detectors. I think the founders had it right. Our founders believed this about Jesus. George Washington, our first president, called the father of our country. He was our daddy. He said this, You do well if you wish to learn above all else the religion of Jesus Christ. John Hancock, the signer of the Declaration, a governor of Massachusetts. Now listen to this. He called on his state to pray that all nations would bow to the scepter of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the whole earth would be filled with His glory. Can you imagine a governor doing that today? I mean, basically saying, look, guys, we want the world to know Christ. Samuel Adams, he also signed the declaration. He said, I rely on the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon of all my sins. Now, America's never been a perfect nation, but America was a Christian nation in its founding. Our president, in his speech not many months ago, said, whatever we once were, we're no longer a Christian nation. We're Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and non-believers. I wonder, my friends, if we could truly say our nation is better today, come on, than we were. I'm not so sure we are. The founders also had specific views about God and government. Listen now, because we're taught today that, that, that God and government are, have nothing to do with each other. You keep religion out of the secular sphere, whereas our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, said the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. The first precepts of Christianity was the cornerstone of our government in the United States of America. 
Uh, another president, John Adams, the Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's inadequate to the government of any other. Perhaps the, the, that's why there's uh, uh, today a, a push away from the Constitution. I'm told by attorneys, they, many law schools, they don't even read the Constitution. They read the modern interpretation of the Constitution. They don't believe that it's a document that grounds us. They means that the strings were cut. Let me tell you how the founders, when they envisioned our nation and when they made decisions, they, didn't, they, didn't, they were not so foolish to think that they knew everything that would happen two, 250 years down the road. They had no idea of technology. If you'd have talked to them about an iPhone, they'd have talked to you like you were mad. But what they did do is they built the laws that govern the nation upon God's natural law and if their founding documents didn't address it, what they would do is they would go to God's Word or God's law. What's happened in America today, we've cut that part of natural law or the Bible or God's law. So when Supreme Court justices who act in the place of God, they follow the winds of modern culture. And just a few days ago in the state of Texas, they said, in essence, we don't care what level of medical care the abortion clinic provides in Texas and the nation, the bottom line is a woman should have the right to an abortion. When, the first, when one of the great Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not murder, that's what the, they would have done because, you see, they were educated, the, the, the legal minds of the day, in Blackstone's commentary of the law. Blackstone had a six or seven co commentary series. He was in English, uh, 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 in English jurisprudence, and that's what they learned. But his books were just like reading the Bible because natural law formed the basis of civil law, God's laws, uh, if you would look at the original dictionary of America, Webster's Dictionary, Noah Webster. I have a copy. I use it. It's an electronic copy. And uh, I don't think his computer was as fast as mine today, but see, now that's the only joke I tried to tell today. But when he defined marriage, he used three Bible verses. It's changed in America today. The Constitutional Convention, now mind you, they have already been at war with Britain now they're trying to come together with a, a document that would guide them as a nation. And the delegates were bogged down in dissension. They were, not, they were just like us today. They weren't getting along. They were defending rights and all these things. Benjamin Franklin said this. Now, modern America wants to pull out Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin as two of the most irreligious of the bunch, least religious. Well, here's what Franklin said. He said, in the beginning of the contest with Britain, in other words, think about this now, a bunch of people just living in the woods in America are going to fight the greatest army at that time, the British Empire. He said, in the beginning of that war, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. We'd pray together as the leaders of the country that God would help us. And he said this, he said, our prayers were graciously answered. Now, in today's secular America, we'd say it was our Scud missiles. We would say it was our cruise missiles. We would say it was, you know, whatever the case is. It was our, it was the, our great military. But he said, no, God answered our prayers, and we won that war. Now he said this, have we now forgotten that powerful friend? He's talking about God. Have we forgotten God? Do we imagine that we no longer need God's assistance? I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning. Now, that doesn't sound like an agnostic to me. What do you think? It doesn't sound like an atheist. It doesn't sound like an unbeliever. And you know what? They did. Benjamin Franklin even suggested that they appoint a chaplain that could pray every day. 
that God would give them the wisdom to guide the nation. Our founders gave us what's called a constitutional republic. It is a government in which officials are elected as representatives of the people. We'll have a presidential election this fall. And I don't know about you, but I'm not crazy about either one of the candidates. But I'm still responsible to be a participant, come on, in our republic. We elect officials, but these officials are to govern according to existing constitutional law that limits the government's power over its citizens. One of our founders even warned us that the government needs to be constrained. Whereas the modern view of government, it calls for globalism. It calls for more and more government control and less individual liberty. But the ultimate power the founders saw was in we the people of the United States who relied upon God. Our founders believed that the principles of civil government has, uh, was made known in the Bible. And they applied these principles to the founding of our government. Now, let me show you another quick video of the Jefferson Memorial. The Jefferson Memorial, again, if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., and my wife and I went a couple years ago, these words inscribed on the walls of, uh, of this great memorial. Now, what you'd hear about Jefferson today, again, was you would hear that, well, he was not this super religious guy. He was a deist. A deist believes in God, but he believes God wound up the world and he, through processes just like an old alarm clock, and he just let it go on its own. They'd remind you that Thomas Jefferson, well, he, he raped a slave. He had slaves. He raped a slave. But he still held godly principles even if he made mistakes. What if they wrote about us today? What if they wrote about your surfing on the Internet? What if they wrote about your double-clicking on some woman that's, you know, or some man? It's easy to point fingers and say, you know, listen, there are no perfect people. I mean, no, there's a perfect God. And even when I make mistakes in my life, how many know that doesn't undermine the integrity and the truth of God's Word? Notice what he said, Thomas Jefferson, on the walls of the uh, Jefferson Memorial. Now we stand at the Jefferson Memorial in front of that massive wall read by millions of people every year with this compelling quote. God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation survive when we have removed their only firm base? a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they cannot be violated but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. He asked the question, can the liberties or freedom of a nation be secure when we've removed a conviction that these liberties are a gift of God? I suggest to you there's been a deliberate effort over the, at least the last 50 years to remove this concept. Yet they enshrined in our Bill of Rights, in the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights, it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Now there's a problem with archaic language. It's just the, the reason I don't use the King James Version is you have to explain what it means before you can figure out how to apply it to your life. It was, a, it was the King James English. But this idea of the establishment of religion, you've got to understand that these folks came from Europe. They came from England where there was a state church. And they came to America in search of religious freedom. And what this, this bill guaranteed is there wouldn't be the government control of religion or a state church. But it's the second part of it that they neglect today. They said Congress shall make no law respecting the, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 
And that's what's happening today. Religious freedoms are disappearing. Crosses are being forced to come down across America. Listen, they're so nuts about the Bible that they want to make sure that it's not even in the hotel room that you go to. Listen, it's like this Bible is emanating radiation, and because it's in the drawer, it could infect you. It's just possible that if we read the Bible again, come on, thou shalt not kill, honor thy father and thy mother. It's just possible that if we read that if you lend to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and instead of just expecting the government to have a massive welfare system, it's just possible that if we read the Bible, we would obey it, and it would change the fabric of our nation. What's happened to America? Our national motto, it's on your money. It says, in God we trust. But our godly heritage and religious freedom are disappearing. Let's move as we shift a little bit more history and then towards the present. I think two things have happened while we're in the state we're in. Number one, we as Christians have abandoned our citizenship responsibilities. And secular people have taken over. There were over 30 million Christians that didn't even vote in the last presidential election. Millions that didn't register. Noah Webster, he was the, not only the father of the dictionary, he's called the father of American scholarship. He said this, if a Republican government, I don't mean Republican or Democrats, but a form of government where the people elect representatives, if this government is not securing public prosperity and happiness, which could you agree with me today, we're a disgruntled bunch in America today. I mean, we've got groups pitted against each other. They pull out their swords. They focus on what happened 200 years ago or 50 years ago or the color of somebody's skin. We want to kill each other. He said, if that's going on, it must be because the citizens neglect the divine commands and they elect bad men to make and administer the laws. And that's what's happening in America today. We are the product of a nation that's turned her back on God. I suggest there's another reason for our condition. It's called the separation of church and state myth. And I underscore myth, it's removed God from government. If we were to take a survey, if I asked you to raise your hands, which I want, and I asked you how many people believe this phrase, separation of church and states in the Constitution, you would be amazed at the number of people that believe that it is. It's not. Let me tell you where it came from. In 1802, the Danbury Baptist Association, and you can read this letter online, by the way, they wrote a letter to President Thomas Jefferson and they were complaining because they felt their state government was infringing on their religious freedom. And what they feared was another state church. I believe it was Massachusetts. But he used a phrase in this letter. Again, he's the president. He calls it the separation of church and state, a wall between the two. But here's what the phrase meant. It was to reassure them that the government would not interfere with religion. Not vice versa. And we have, as modern Americans, flipped it. The modern view says religion must be excluded from the public square. Now, if that was the case, then why, in his official capacity as president of the United States, would he write a small prayer in the bottom of his letter? He had no intent to do that. Reason and logic show us that. We're just being shoved, a secular America, down our throats. In 1947, the Supreme Court left precedent and use this phrase, separation phrase, to prohibit any government support or preference for religion. And that's what's happening across America. That's why lawsuits are filed when a school just wants a kid to pray, come on, before a football game. Or a kid in their graduation, the valedictorian, wants to say something about God or Jesus, the school is in cutting and pasting. Listen, friends, America's at a crossroads. 
Chaplains and ministers cannot pray in Jesus' name in public places without some brouhaha. The Bible is not respected in society. A million children lose their lives every year in the name of choice. It's normal in America for men to marry men and women to marry women. We call wrong right and right wrong. Yesterday's good guys are today's bad guys. You say, Pastor, what does the Bible say about that? Proverbs 14, 34, it says, Doing what is right makes a nation great. Let me say it again. Doing what is right makes a nation great. Say it with me. Doing what is right makes a nation great. But then it says, sin will bring a disgrace. How do you know what it is to do something right? Come on. How do you know that what it is to do something right? God has told us in his word, we don't just need the, the opinions of professionals that change their minds every few years. Come on. We don't need this, the vote of the ignorant majority. We need God's word. Let me tell you what we need in America. We need a spiritual awakening. And a spiritual awakening cannot start in the state house or the White House. It starts in the church house. Second Chronicles 7, God told to Solomon, he said, Hey, listen, fellas, if the nation's in trouble, if darkness is everywhere, if my people, my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves, come on, and pray, if we will seek his face, if we will turn from our wicked ways, God said, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal your land. Listen, our solution is not in Hillary Clinton or a, a Donald Trump or a write-in candidate or anybody else. Come on, our solution is not in me just sitting at home saying I'm not going to do it. Listen, our solution is a visitation from God back to the earth. I did things that I was ashamed of in my late teenage years. Things that took me, one thing, I, don't, I still don't like to say it publicly. But when I gave my life to Jesus, I quit all that foolishness. I didn't do it because somebody made a law or another bureaucratic procedure or process or, temp, or, or, or say they're going to find me. God changed my heart. I was born again on the inside. Come on. And when you're born again, Jesus changes you. And if we had a sweeping move of God's Holy Spirit across the church house, come on, and we quit gossiping, come on, and we started loving our neighbor, we started helping poor people, we started living righteous lives, husbands started loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and children started obeying and honoring their mother and father, the church house would change. It would spill over into the community. And America might turn around. But coupled with that, like two wings on a bird, Christian citizens can make a difference. Just a few days ago, the citizens of Texarkana, Arkansas, voted to repeal M-130. It was an ordinance that gave people special rights because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. And the leaders of this repeal were Christians. I know most of them. People on the other side said, you're a hater. You're a bigot. You, 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 you are trying to bring our country back to the Jim Crow laws of the past. This is discrimination in its worst. These Christians simply believe in Jesus, what Jesus said in the Bible about the basis of marriage and human sexuality. Matthew 19, Jesus, quoting the book of Genesis, said, haven't you read that at the beginning, 
the creator made them male and female. Now that's true or false. It is universally true that God created us and he made us into be a man or a woman or it's false. And just because Facebook gives me 51 options for my gender doesn't mean that it's true. Now, listen, particularly you that are young, you've not been raised in the America that I am. I was raised in. You've not been raised with a biblical foundation of life. To you, Chick-fil-A being closed on Sunday is the craziest thing you've ever heard. It's another day to make money. There were at one time, there was no business open on Sunday because it was the Lord's day. But when people lost heart to honor God, then they had laws that constrained it, and we just pushed beyond the laws. Now, I'm not saying going to eat on sun, uh, Sunday, uh, going out to eat, listen, makes you a heathen. But what I'm saying is, it all starts in the heart. It all starts with loving God. Jesus went on to say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's true or it's false. The Bible's true or it's false. All of us get to make that decision. But if it's true, the Bible teaches us that men are to marry women and women are to marry men, not men marry other men or women marry other women or someone marry their pet or multiple people. And what really impressed me was not just the vote, the, the thing that won, because here's the deal. As a Christian, I love people. I love gay people. I love transgender people. As I shared several weeks ago, I, 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 can't, I can't rightfully accept the hate label. There was a, it was a number of months ago, there was a transgendered young man that came through the front door of our church, and I made extra effort to reach out to him and tell him that he was welcome here, and I hoped he would come back and I'd be his friend. And there was a couple standing behind them, him that joined the church the following week. And when I asked him in our Connect class why they joined the church, it says, because we saw the way you treated that young man. We have baptized homosexuals in this church. We have loved them. We have watched people die with AIDS. I can't accept the hate that's thrown out because the facts belay something different. I can't accept the hatred because our church is a multicultural church. Our church has black and white and, 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 and Hispanic and Oriental and everything in between in it. Listen, we live. I was so proud of some of these Christians. I heard one of them that was at the polls the other day, and, and they were in the repeal, and, and, and in one case, there was a, a lesbian on the other side, and she didn't have uh, socks or, or long pants on, and mosquitoes were everywhere, so this Christian man went and got her some mosquito spray. The other poll, how many know we're supposed to love our neighbor if we, even if we disagree with our neighbor? In, the other, in, the, in, in the, another polling place, there was two girls and there were two guys uh, that, that were gay that were on that side of the issue. And they talked all day and kind of had a dialogue as they went. She said sometimes it got a little heated. But at the end of the day, she said, I went out to him and I reached out to him and said, basically, I'd like to be your friend. And she said, could I give you a hug? And she hugged him and a tear came in his eye. Listen, don't buy the cultural lie. A true Christian lives by the first commandment to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But they live by the second one as well, to love their neighbor as their self. And I can love my neighbor, come on, even if my neighbor is heading in the wrong direction. Come on, somebody, somebody give the Lord a good hand. I need an extra five minutes this morning if I can have it. 
these believers prayed, but they did more. They voted, they gave money, they spent time, they got signatures. Proverbs, listen, I believe, some though that ridiculed, I believe God applauded that effort. Proverbs 14 says, doing what is right makes a nation great, but sin will bring disgrace. Our fa- listen, Abraham Lincoln, he is applauded as a great president today. He said this, it's my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. We should be on the Lord's side. And that, friend, is what we're looking for in, in a nation. And that's why we need to be involved in modern-day politics. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. I'm going to close with this. America's greatness is because of God. There was a man, a French statesman, several centuries ago, Alexis de Tocqueville. He came to America looking for the secret of our greatness. And he said he went to our fertile fields and boundless forests, but it was not there. He went to our rich mines, mining ore and gold and our vast world commerce, but the secret of our greatness was not there. He went to our democratic congress and the matchless constitution, not there either. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of America's genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And how many know you cannot be good unless you are built upon a moral foundation of truth? America's future is up to people like us. If you and I do nothing, our government will get bigger, individual freedom will become a memory, religious freedom will bow to political correctness, and the nation will collapse under the weight of debt, and our children will live in a socialist state run by a dictator. An English, English politician statesman, Edwin Burke, said all that's necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. But if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God said, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. We need a spiritual awakening among the people of God. And we need to be involved in the political process of this great nation as Christian citizens because there is still hope that this nation could once again be one nation under God. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? I want to take just a minute and pray with you. There may be a couple, several people here today, and maybe you're... Not just kind of excited about this. But I want to encourage you, go by all my notes are online. I want to encourage you to think about it. I want to encourage you, don't just make a feeling response. Give yourself, number one, time to think about what we heard about our history. Make a decision about what you believe the role of the Bible should be. Come on, in personal and public life. And I think you'll understand the ways of God. Bow your heads with me today. Could we just humble ourselves? That's what, that's what bowing your head is about and praying. It's an act of humility. And say, Lord Jesus, we ask you to forgive our nation for the 
the way that we've lived, Lord, for so many years. Come on, let's just on behalf of the nation first ask God to forgive the church. People in churches have done terrible things. There were church members that were in the Ku Klux Klan that even used, has the word Christian and Bible on their webpage today. That's a terrible thing. People who own slaves are terrible things. People who, I mean, just the list is long. But it starts here among the people of God, and we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for any, any hint of racism we even have today, any hatred of people because of their gender, the color of their skin, anything, Lord. Forgive us if we don't love people that are different from us. Forgive us, God, if we've ever been a bully or acted, Lord, in a hateful manner towards someone who's confused about their gender or, or someone who has a different, believes they have a different sexual orientation. God, forgive us if we've not acted in love towards a person. But forgive us too, Lord, if we have not been good Christian citizens. Forgive us, God, that we've not cared enough to register to vote and to vote. Forgive us, God, when we've not stood and let our voice be heard. Lord, today we want to ask that you would once again send the wind of your spirit through America. Come on, reach out to heaven with me just a moment and say, God, would you just blow a fresh breeze on America, a spiritual breeze? But God, before you blow it on the nation, blow it on me. Now, I can't pray this prayer for you, but I want you to just say, Lord, would you just give me a love for what you love and a hatred for what you hate? Come on, would you give me a love for righteousness? Lord, would you take away from me a love for the things of this world? God, would you help me not be a hypocrite in any measure? Would you help me come out of my sinful lifestyle? Would you help me live by what the Bible teaches? Come on, only you can pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, would you change me on the inside? Would you help me to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Lord, I don't want to just, I don't want to just go to church sometimes or kind of have an obligation. I want to have some passion about this thing. Come on, just ask God. Ask God for a, a fresh spiritual awakening in your own heart. And Lord, I want to take a minute. I want to bless all those that were on the other side of that M130. God, they're not my enemy. They're certainly not. They're my friend. I want to see every one of them in a real place called heaven. And I want to see all of us walking in truth. God, I ask you to bless each one today. I just bless everyone today that's said any evil word about me or to me or behind my back or to my face. I just bless them today, and I pray that your presence would smile on all of us. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We want to close with an opportunity for one last personal prayer. They're going to sing one song and then dismiss. But I always have prayer at the end of the service because I know that when God pulls on your heart about something, there's always a need to respond. And maybe something in this message, the Holy Spirit has been tugging on your heart and tapping you on the shoulder, trying to move you from where you are to where He wants you to be. Let somebody pray for you. It's like something about a step to God. If you have a personal need and you missed the earlier prayer time, we'll pray now. But the most important thing we'd like to pray for, and this next 60 seconds could be the most important moment of your life. Because I want to give you an opportunity to make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. Not to join this church. But I simply want to point you to that cross and tell you that Jesus Christ loves you. He loved you so much that he died on a cross so your sins could all be paid for. So God could forgive you and he could give you a brand new start in life. The change that you're longing for. Listen, you were created to have a relationship with God. And until you surrender your life to Christ, you'll never have the life you've always dreamed about. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I need God's forgiveness. I'm not where I need to be with God. I want to make a step to Christ.
If that's you this morning and you say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get my life right with God. I walked with God at one time, but I'm not walking with God today. I need a commitment of my life to Christ. If that's you, just slip up your hand real quickly. Let me pray for you. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to commit my life to Christ this morning. Anyone this morning? Yeah, I see your hand. Give her a big hand back here. I see a young man over the corner here. God bless you. Give him a big hand. Someone else today, I'm out of time. Pray for me. God bless you there in the back, sir. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? Say, pray for me. All right, listen, we're gonna, the, our prayer team is coming to the front. You that lifted your hands and you that want to commit your life to Christ, come meet us at the cross. Let someone pray for you and give you something that's going to help you. Anyone else that needs prayer, you come. You that made a, making a commitment lifted your hand, come on up, let us pray for you right now. Give them another big hand here. You're making a step to Christ. Someone's going to meet you at the altar over here. God bless you, sir, as you're coming. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir, in the back. You come too and let us pray for you. I need a, a, a man over here and a woman. We're going to pray right over here with you. Listen, if you need prayer, you come let them pray with you. They're going to sing one song and be dismissed. Thank you for coming this morning. Next week, we'll be talking about the final chapter, Living in the Last Days. God bless you. Give us clean hands, oh Lord, we pray. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another and oh god let us be a generation that seeks to seek your face oh god of jacob and oh god let us be a generation that seeks seek your face oh god oh jacob and prayer team they're going to remain around front they'll be happy to pray with you about anything you got going on but if not hey you're free to be dismissed we look forward to seeing you next week god bless you hope you have a wonderful fourth god let us be a generation that seeks the seek your face Oh God, oh Jesus.